Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. I'm C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm speaking with Louise Hare about her second Canary Club mystery, Harlem After Midnight. The first novel in this series, Miss Aldridge Regrets, came out in 2022. Set in 1936, it introduces Lena Aldridge, a singer whose dreams of making it in London's West End have collided with the reality of the Great Depression, confining her to a sleazy jazz club where, within the first few pages, her boss is murdered. He was not a nice guy, to put it mildly, but on top of other crises in Lena's life, his death leaves her eager to grasp at what appears to be the opportunity of a lifetime. Passage to New York on the RMS Queen Mary and the chance to star in a Broadway show. By the time the second book opens, it's still 1936, and Lena has reached Harlem, then in its heyday as a hub of African-American culture. But the novel actually begins almost at its end with an uncomfortable discovery. Thursday, 17 September, 1936, 1 a.m. She let out a sigh as she fell, an exhalation so sweet and soft that not a soul heard it, not even the cop who'd passed by the building not two seconds before. It was the smashing of China and the subsequent thud of her body landing hard against the stone steps three stories down that made him turn and look. Patrolman James Freeman was only a few months into his new career. If you can't beat him, join him. Forget that his brother hadn't spoken a word to him since. The paycheck sure made up for it or it had done up until this very moment. He noticed her arm first, thrown above her head but in an elegant manner, her fingers beautifully positioned like a dancer's. His eyes traced along to her face, so beautiful and still, her cheek resting against the cold step, her hair curling down toward the sidewalk. Her eyes were closed, her face serene, as if she had just fallen asleep, though the rest of her body was in chaos, sprawled upside down with legs twisted and one foot almost kicking the front door of the building. A broken angel. He was as frozen as she was, staring down at her like a fool. But then she opened her eyes. And now, please join me in welcoming Louise Hare. Hi, Louise. Thanks for talking with me today. Hi, thank you for having me. Your first novel was called This Lovely City. What can you tell us about that book and how you came to write fiction more generally? Oh, so that book um, is my debut. I write historical fiction 
Um, and whereas the Canary Club mysteries are very sort of traditional um, mystery novels, this lovely city is kind of has a mystery in it, but it's sort of more, I guess what you'd call book club fiction where it's more about a situation that people find themselves in and there just happens to be uh, a murder as a sort of part of that. So it's more about the people in the community and then the, the murder is sort of a, I guess it kickstarts the plot. Um, and how I came to write fiction and in particular that book um, was just kind of a, you know, you're in a job, you've been in the same job for a long time. And I was just sort of thinking around what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. You know, you have to work uh, quite late these days before you can retire. Um, and I sort of didn't hate my job, but I also couldn't see myself doing it long term. And I sort of figured if I found a hobby that I really enjoy, something more creative as an outlet, it would help me out. So I never really expected to be published or to have any success with it. It was more just um, that creative outlet. Um, but after I'd written my first novel, which is an unpublished novel, which is in a drawer somewhere, um, I had some really good feedback of agents. Nobody signed me, but I had feedback of a few people that sort of urged me to keep writing. Um, and as part of that, I signed up to do a, a master's degree in creative writing. And this lovely city came out of a short story that I wrote on that master's degree. And what inspired the Canary Club Mysteries? So the Canary Club Mysteries... Um, so it's sort of two things so again going back to me doing this master's in creative in creative writing um the thing I loved about about studying creative writing was that the course that I chose was quite um I guess diverse we did short stories we did playwriting we looked at genre like young adult fiction and crime fiction and historical fiction so I got to sort of try my hand at writing lots of different things um, and so I'd written this short story about a jazz singer witnessing a murder. And then added to that, when I got the deal for my first book, This Lovely City, you kind of had to pitch an idea for a second book because ideally you want this a sort of two book deal. And so without having very many new ideas, I kind of just remembered that short story that I'd, I'd written and sort of pitched that as an idea, you know, jazz singer, historical you know traditional golden age mystery and the publisher loved it so then I had to actually think about what was going to happen in this story <laughs> that's so uh, well you you did a good job <laughs> <laughs> introduce us please to your main character Lena Aldridge how would you describe her personality her approach to life so Lena came out of um well she was in this short story that that I alluded to and um I was just kind of thinking about I guess celebrity and how we sort of assume people on stage or people who are sort of famous or even semi-famous, they must have everything together because, you know, to have that success, you, you know, you assume you must have some idea about um, life and how it works or some mystical thing. And I found it quite interesting. I thought it would be quite interesting to write a character who is on a stage but not the stage that she wants to be on. Her life is kind of a mess. Um, and I kind of really channeled my 20s because in my 20s, I didn't know what I wanted to do with like, my life and I was a bit lost. And so Lena's got a bit of that in her. She's had all these ambitions. They haven't quite worked out for her. And she's sort of at a crossroads where she 
doesn't know what to do. All she knows is singing and being on the stage, but she hasn't really made a success of it. She's really got no money, uh, not really a, a place to live. And so I, I sort of thought, you know, take that person who's already a bit of a mess and then throw them into a murder mystery and see how they cope, which is, um, I guess, mixed results. <laughs> There's much we can't reveal about Lena's background because it comes out during that first novel. Um, but we do know from the beginning that she was very close to her father, Alfred. What can you tell us about their relationship and about him more generally as a person? Yeah, so he's a, an interesting character because um, he he really wasn't somebody that I planned to be in the novel. Um, but when I was thinking about Lena, I don't know, there was kind of a sort of, she's not a sad person, but there was a sort of sadness to her when I was sort of imagining her. Um, I'm not sure where that came from, but I sort of decided that she had this sort of grief that she was dealing with. And then I came up with Alfred or Alfie, as she called him. Um, so he's her father. He, at the start of the, of Misogyny's Regrets, he's um, been dead for around about eight or nine months. Um, and she's still getting over it. Um, and it was just supposed, he was just supposed to be sort of a little mention here and there. Um, but I just really kind of fell in love with him as a character, even though he's, technically not in the book um I became kind of fascinated by him and this influence that he'd clearly had on her um the the ambitious drive that she has is is from him and you know he brought her up as a single parent in you know sort of the early 20th century in London and he's a you know a black man in a, in a city that at that point would have been very white and what would you know he's sort of um done the right thing and when Lena's mother has left them he's been the father figure that's that's been her only sort of anchor and that's also why she's a little bit lost is she's just lost her anchor and doesn't really know what to do about it. Because it's a mystery and because a large part of the mystery actually involves Lena and her past um, I'm going to take a very light hand with that first book to avoid giving away spoilers. Is there anything else that you would like people to know before we move into talking about the second one? I mean, I guess the only thing that we haven't touched on, which I guess is kind of interesting, is is the fact that Lena has this father who is black and she is mixed race, but sort of passing. Um, so one of the, th- I guess one of the themes of both the novels is her coming to terms with her identity. Um, so, you know, obviously it is a murder mystery. It is all about, you know, people getting killed in various creative ways. Um, but I did want it to be something a little bit more and to sort of explore um, those aspects of Lena as well. You know, so it's one of the most interesting openings I've seen. I I've, I've don't, maybe it's just my limited reading, but I don't ever remember seeing a, um, a novel that starts with the murderer's point of view. Um, but we won't go into too much of that because it's just a really interesting theme that runs along through the novel um, that you get this these occasional interjections of the person responsible and, and you have to figure out who that is. Alfie also has a storyline in the second novel, separate from Lena's and unknown to her. Uh, what did we learn about him early in Harlem After Midnight? Uh, so as I said in the first book, um, Alfie just sort of came into his own and became a I guess more of an influence than I'd originally intended in a good way. And so, and again, even in Harlem After Midnight, originally I was thinking that I would explore 
um, his story, but through the eyes of someone else, um, his sister, uh, who also has a, a voice in the novel. Um, but again, he just sort of t- took over <laughs> a little bit. And I just was so interested in his point of view and, and the things. And, and I suppose what we learn about him, first of all, is that, um, well, something we knew from the first book is that he was a musician. He was a jazz musician. Um, and so he's doing that in, in this book as well. But in New York, he's just sort of moved from Florida as part of the Great Migration, I guess, um, and is living in the Tenderloin District, is, is trying to um, make a living from, from playing music. Um, and again, at the time that we meet him, he's not having huge success, but then he kind of meets this person who takes him under his wing. Um, and so, yeah, it's sort of filling in a few of the gaps that, and the, answering a few of the questions that Lena has throughout the first novel and, and then again during Harlem After Midnight. Yeah, you actually have three storylines running simultaneously here. Um, there's Lena's present, uh, which occupies most of the book. There's the story of the woman found on the sidewalk, which I hint at in my introduction. And then Alfie's past, which we just talked about a little bit. Why tell the story this way? Um, I think because I like to make life really hard for myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, Partly, I'm more of a pantser than a, a plotter, so I don't tend to have like a full outline when I sit down to write a novel. Um, but I knew that I needed, I, I knew that I wanted to talk about Alfie's past because I wanted to join those those dots. Uh, partly for my own interest, because I just was really wanting to figure out um, what had taken into London in the first place. Um, and then you have the woman who's found on the sidewalk, and I guess that. I mean, that is sort of written separately because, you know, I want to keep the intrigue going. So that's kind of like a little technical device to keep the reader trying to figure out what's going on. Um, And then obviously Lena's present um, is continuing on from the first book. So filling in, you know, what's going to happen to her, what are her plans, you know, following on the romance that she begins in that first book as well. On the boat over, Lena befriended a musician named Will Goodman. What can you tell us about him? So Will is, um, he sort of plays two different roles in the, in, the, in the two different books. So in the first book, he's sort of a touchstone for Lena. He's the one person who sort of understands her and the person that she can, when it all gets a bit too much, she can go and talk to him. And he's sort of a, sort of a calm influence. And at the end of the book, he sort of offers her um, well, he has friends who she can stay with in Harlem, which is why she ends up in Harlem in the second book. Um, but then in the second book, of course, you know, everyone's too good to be true a little bit. Um, and it turns out Will has his own secrets, his own history um, that he hasn't necessarily told Lena because originally they thought they were going to be on a boat for a few days and then they would never see each other again. But now that there's the potential for their relationship to continue it's sort of, oh, all the skeletons come out of the closet, um, which makes him a little bit more interesting, I think. It does. We learn a lot about him in the second book, um, and we aren't going to share any of that with our listeners. <laughs> They'll just have to read it themselves and find out. So those friends that Lena ends up with are the Linfields. Um, uh, Claudette, who's known as Claude, and her husband, Louis. I assume he says Louis. How would you characterize them? I would say, I guess what I wanted to do is because Lena is mixed race but passing 
but Campas is white. I kind of wanted to put her in a situation with a black family who were different to, I guess, her own stereotypes. Um, so her and her father grew up with not very much money, sort of, you know, scraping a living. And then she ends up with the Linfields, who are very, I guess, middle class. You know, Lewis is a doctor. Claude works in a library. They're very educated. Um, I guess sort of following on that tradition of the sort of Harlem Renaissance and having that, um, you know, that sort of environment. Um, so people who, I guess I wanted to create a black couple who she would maybe assume that she would fit straight in with, but actually class-wise and educationally-wise, they're in a different zone to her because she left school at sort of 14. She hasn't had that education that they have had. So I just kind of wanted to explore what that would mean for, for Lena moving in these circles. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. One of um, the parts of Will's past uh, that we can talk about is his sister, Belle, uh, who Lena meets. And Will has some issues with Belle, and we won't go into the reasons for that. But <laughs> Lena is much more favorably impressed with her. In fact, they get along quite well. So why is that? So I, I think with Belle, I mean, they're sort of friends, but are they... They're more like frenemies, I guess, (laughs) at a certain point. So I think that Lena is attracted to a friendship with Belle, partly because of things that happen in the first book. So her best friend, she leaves in London and they're sort of on a, uh, not not a falling out. Some things have happened and she's not sure if she'll go back to the same friendship. She's just kind of in the market for a new friend anyway, or someone that she can confide in who is, you know, another woman. And I guess Belle, because she works, she doesn't, she's not a singer, but she works in clubs. She understands a little bit about Lena's world. They have a few things in common. You know, they're both interested in fashion and those kind of things. And um, and so, yeah, I think Lena at first is like, this would be really cool if I could have a new friend here. And because at that point, Lena's still sort of considering maybe I could stay in New York maybe I don't go back to London maybe I try and figure this out with Will and help him fix some of his past issues so yeah I think there's a few different motivations for her in in trying to befriend Belle and one other thing they have in common is that uh, Belle can also pass as white in fact even more easily than Lena in some ways whereas Will can't yeah that's true um 
I guess, yeah, one of the things I was, well, actually one of my favorite books is Passing by Nella Larson. So I guess this is kind of my little tribute to, to that book in that you have these two sort of friends. And it, but again, there's sort of a lot of friction between between the, those two women um, who can both pass as white and one chooses to live her life as a white woman and the other one doesn't. And so I kind of just wanted to explore a little bit of that between Lena and, and Belle. Um, but then also look at how that would affect Will when you know, both Lena and Belle can go to places that he can't. Belle has a daughter named Joey, or known as Joey. Um, what do we need to know about her? I love Joey. She's, I mean, she's not in the book a huge amount, but um, she's just sort of super clever. Um, I guess sort of the best, the best parts of um, her family um, in a way. So she's just kind of, aspirational and and the person that everybody so will and bell can sort of put their differences aside in the in the interest of of joey and so i wanted there to be someone that they could sort of bond over a little bit um but also that does create a little bit of tension um but i can't really talk about that because that's that would be too spoilery Let's talk instead about Harlem then. Uh, Harlem itself is almost a character in the novel um, from its early days during Alfred's part of the story to what we might call its flowering in the 1930s, which, you, as you mentioned, the Harlem Renaissance and so on. Give us some insight into its history. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm British. I live in London. I have been to Harlem years ago, um, and I, I originally was hoping I'd be able to go as part of the research for this book. Give me a very good excuse to travel. Um, but at the time that I started writing it, it was still kind of COVID-y and, and it, it didn't seem like the best time. Um, but I did lots, so much research. And actually, one of the things that I realized was basically giving myself two lots of research because I'm writing about Alfie in sort of 1908 and then Lena in 1936 was that New York changed so much in that period. So I literally had to do two lots of research. Um, so yeah, at the time that, that Alfie's in New York, um, you know, the black community is very much sort of downtown, I guess, like around the Tenderloin and those sorts of areas. Um, and just people are just starting to sort of migrate north, sort of heading towards Harlem, which is still more Jewish and Italian. Um, but then obviously by the time Lena gets there, it's sort of more, Harlem's sort of more established um, with a black community and, um, and so, yeah, it was very interesting sort of reading those stories and seeing how how this migration from the southern states um, sort of resulted in, in this sort of change in the geography of New York. As we mentioned, Lena grew up in London, uh, although she's impressed by New York in some ways. She also misses her home. What does she like and dislike about the United States? Um, I think, I mean, one of the things she likes is the, you know, the opportunity for a new start. Um, she's left Quite a quite a mess back in London, <laughs> uh, which is one reason why she sort of jumps at the chance to uh, to travel in the first place. Um, and I think she, both her parents were from New York, and she knows. If, although there's lots of things she doesn't know about them, that's one thing she does know, um, and that's a big attraction. Um, I think for her, having hidden a lot of her identity for a long time, it's quite freeing to live in Harlem and for people to just 
let her be a little bit. Um, but then I guess what she dislikes is, is that unknown? Everything's so sort of big and different. Um, and then there are all these secrets that keep coming out about her father, about Will, that she's kind of very overwhelmed with. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think, you know, New York and London are similar in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that's why she's so kind of torn about what to do with, with her future as well as, you know, to give it a chance uh, in New York or go back and fix the mess that she left behind. Almost the only person she misses from her life in Britain, though, is her friend Maggie. Um, I know you don't want to talk about what uh, the, about their current situation, but tell us about their friendship, how it got started, what draws them together, what Maggie is like as a person. Yeah, so they're childhood friends, um, and they met literally because um, her, Alina and her father ended up lodging with Maggie's family um, because they had nowhere else to live. And so Maggie and Lena are kind of like sisters. They pretty much grew up in the same house, went to the same school, um, sort of bonded it in that way. Um, And I think, you know, at the point that Miss Aldridge regrets begins, their relationship has already been tested, but it's kind of stayed strong in the fact that Maggie married quite young. Lena hasn't married um, at this point um, and she hates Maggie's husband and thinks that he treats Maggie horribly, but Maggie is always sort of defending him. So yeah, they have this sort of long-standing friendship and, and if Lena was gonna tell anyone in the world anything, it would, it would be Maggie. But at the same time, there's been this sort of tension um, in the prior years. And then obviously with things that happened in Miss Aldridge Regrets, that kind of reaches a breaking point. But, you know, it's not the end of the road for them. Um, Lena is still, you know, even through Harlem After Midnight, is still thinking about Maggie and hoping that they'll be able to fix what has broken. Are there any characters or incidents I haven't mentioned that you would like listeners to hear about? Do you know what? There are, but there are probably too too many spoilers, potentially. (laughs) So I think we'd better leave them alone. Very good. What would you like people to take away from Miss Aldridge's regrets in Harlem After Midnight? Uh, I had a lot of fun writing them. I think Lena is such a fun character. Um, so I hope people will find them entertaining. Um, but also, you know, I did want to talk about the period. You know, it's only a few years before World War II starts. So there are like some tensions around that, especially in the first book. Um, and yeah, there were a few issues in there. I, you know, I like to explore explore those things. But yeah, more than anything, I hope that people enjoy the mystery maybe hopefully don't figure it out too soon um, and enjoy them. Good. Uh, I actually didn't figure it out too soon. I, I did have a hint maybe halfway through, I thought, but then I kept thinking, no, 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 that can't be. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the best, you know, because then when you, when you find out, you can feel like you did actually have a sense of what was happening, even though the reality is that you, I didn't because I kept suspecting all these other people as well. <laughs> This book has just come out. Are you already working on the next one? So, yeah, I'm, well, I'm taking a break from Lena. I'm writing historical fiction uh, set in the 1700s in London. So very, very different. Um, so uh, another slight mystery in that one as well. So uh, 
yeah, let's see what, let's see how that goes. <laughs> well, I wish you all the best with that. And thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Oh, thank you so much. It's been fun. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I am C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I've been talking with Louise Hare about Harlem After Midnight. Find out more about her at louisehare.com. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at New Books Network. You can find out more about me and my books at cplesley.com, where I blog about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye until my next conversation about historical fiction on the New Books Network.